Hey guys, it's Michelle Berard from Urban Book Editor, host of Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I mentioned to you guys, if you were listening to the last episode of Somewhere in the Middle, that we would be having a separate special True Talk episode. Julia Black and I are going to be getting into a topic a little bit deeper, a little bit longer this time. And it's just because the topic is so big. It's It really warrants a lot more discussion, a little bit more thoughtfulness. So... Enjoy this episode. So we are doing a special True Talk. This is like a little bonus True Talk. It's a little bit longer than the other ones, and that's why we're making it a bonus. And the topic required a little bit more than 10 or 15 minutes, which is what most of our True Talks end up being. So um, Julia Black is with us, and welcome. Thanks. So this is, I think, an interesting topic. You and I are both kind of, you know, book word geeks, right? Yes. I think that's safe to say. That's absolutely safe to say. And you know that I have a particular pet peeve in literature, particularly Southern literature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Um, And people who know me know this, but, you know, there's, there's an issue in my mind, and I think a lot of folks would agree with me about this, that the way that African-Americans, African-American women in particular are represented in literature is tricky at best in the United States. Um, And you know that I have a couple of novels slash movies in particular that just drive me to distraction. even though I don't think they're bad books. I don't think the books were bad at all, but I think they're problematic in certain areas. And I feel like people don't spend a lot of time discussing where they're problematic. And that's where, you know, I want to frame this a certain way because it's important that everyone has representation in literature, right? You know, we should have Hispanic stories. We should have black stories. We should have white stories. We should have purple stories, whatever. We should have all of these stories. Um, everybody has a right to share their story. I'm big on that. Share your story. Your story matters. But how we're represented makes a difference too, right? Like who tells the stories? From what perspective should these stories be told? And everybody has a perspective, right? Everybody's entitled to their perspective. But what should be the predominant perspective that's put out there in mainstream literature in particular? So... You know that one of my issues, particularly, as I said, with Southern literature, but I think it's, it's, it's across um, most mainstream genres of literature, is that African-American 
conditions are sometimes either glamorized or romanticized in, I think, negative ways. And I'm going to, I like, you know, I like to refer to television and movies because I think people are more exposed to those a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But like, there's a movie that I love. It's called Hustle and Flow. It's got Terrence Howard, Taraji P. Henson. I love Terrence Howard more than I love most things on earth, just so you know. (laughs) So sexy. I'd bite him if I saw him today. (laughs) Sexy, sexy. But, and, and just a phenomenal actor. I think he plays a sociopath particularly well and disturbingly well. (laughs) But Hustle and Flow is a story of a a pimp, a small time pimp in uh, Tennessee, I think is where it's set. And his desire, his goal to become, you know, he he wants to shift into hip hop. He wants to become a rapper. And his, that journey and what, where that story takes him is really interesting, but there's certain things that they talk about in, the, in there about the history of music and jazz and, and hip hop, Southern hip hop in particular. And it's a really great film in a lot of ways. Um, that concept though was then taken to the small screen with the show Empire. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't bring myself to watch it. As much as I love Taraji, as much as I love Terrence Howard, I couldn't bring myself to watch it for political reasons. And the political reason was, number one, it was on Fox. Now, Fox doesn't like, you know, Fox News makes it clear they don't like a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, that look like me. So th- why was I going to sit there and watch Fox? Um, I felt like it was exploitative. It was, it was uh, like black exploitation films of the 70s in some ways. And I was very uncomfortable with the idea of giving my eyeballs to Fox to exploit this story that really was much deeper in a film, right? Mm-hmm. And it it basically turned into, in my opinion, and again, I've only seen snippets of it, so I don't know how how great the show is, was, whatever. But my concern was that it was glorifying what I would consider to be the worst of um, black culture, not the best of Mm. black culture. And I'm sure there was some balance in there. Like I said, I didn't watch the show, but I didn't watch it for political reasons because I had my concerns about it. And similarly, there are what I think were pretty good books that, that are problematic in, in similar ways. And one of them, you know, we've talked about this, the help, drives me to distraction. (laughs) Secret Life of Bees drives me to distraction. And I think it's because of the tendency for these stories to almost romanticize the simplicity of uh, Black life or the, um, you know, the challenges that people were going through Mm -hmm. in those times. And then to have kind of either a white savior moment like in the help mm-hmm. you know or in secret life of bees which i think is much more common the, the the what i think is much more common is you have a white character that comes in creates chaos causes problems in people's lives like yeah. real problems in people's lives but it's all good it's a coming of age story for the little white girl you know what i mean yeah 
What are your that, thoughts? <laughs> that, that, you know, that's really interesting because, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a middle-class white woman, um, from California, um, from suburban California. So I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to black culture in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I looked at the secret life of bees, um, what you pointing out that this white girl came in and just created chaos. I was like, Oh yeah, that's a problem. Like the second <laughs> you pointed it out, it was like, Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> why didn't I see this before? Um, you know, but again, that just kind of talks to my ignorance about the whole kind of situation and, and, and how things have been portrayed. But when I read the book, um, I thought, I looked at it and went, this is, I really appreciated the descriptions, whether they were right or wrong, and I don't know if they were right or wrong, but the, the feeling behind it seemed to be that it was a, um, it was a, there was a love and a respect and an awe for Black culture that is missing from a lot of quote white culture there is a deep um yeah i i, I saw a deep awe of that and and it seemed to me that she was trying to that that the author was trying to outwardly kind of appreciate that whether or not it was right or if that was some kind of cultural appropriation i don't know um, well, I don't believe in that term cultural appropriation in that way. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be frank with you. I, th I think that in some, I, not in that context, okay. I think it's an appropriate term, but I don't think in this, I think you're right. The character was expressing, was in awe of these, these sisters mm -hmm. who had this beautiful, peaceful life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it was a life that she desperately craved well, yeah, because it was stable. Yeah. It was not violent. But I'm going to use a term that people aren't going to like. Some people aren't going to like this. But the little girl was technically what we would call white trash down south. She was, yeah. she was white trash. And, mm -hmm. um, and so there were, there are a lot of elements to that, right? Like mm -hmm. the way her dad responded mm -hmm. to find out where she was. Um, You know, there's, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, maybe it's a Southernism, but, you know, it, it, one of the things that I think has been perpetuated in American society is that it's better to be anything but Black. So uh, there's a story that they are, you'll hear some variation of it down South all the time is, you know, there's a, a white sharecropper type person and a black sharecropper type person they live side by side they're actually friends mm -hmm. you know talk to one another have a beer together whatever uh they both work in their land they're doing their work and then one day the black guy gets a mule and he's out there working with the land with the mule the white guy sees the mule goes in his house gets a shotgun and goes and shoots the mule and his son asked him, you know, Pop, why'd you do that? That's your friend. Why'd you shoot his mule? 
And the gist of the statement, I don't remember the exact words of the story, but basically, you know, I, if I don't have a mule, that black guy's not going to have a mule, basically, is what it boils down to. Because if I'm not better than a black guy, I'm not anything. And I think that's kind of the way that our society tends to be structured. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's better to be anything but black. And so when you're using those terms, cultural appropri appropriation, things like that, it's, you have to recognize that the reason that that term is there is because of that concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't apply that term to, to the literature in this way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what that was. I think the author did um, express a certain amount of awe, but that's what that male character coming in, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to fight and all of that. And right. that's really what that was about in so many ways. My kid's better than these people. Why is she here with them? Even though clearly these women were so much better than him in character. Much better right? people. Much better people. Right? Mm -hmm. Um. But I think there's so many things that are problematic with that, with, and I, I, I point out those two books in particular, because those were, were ones that really bothered me a lot. The help for uh, the savior kind of reason also, yeah. again, you know, the girl wants to tell this story to advance her career. Yes. And she is not really understanding the potential danger to the people she wants to quote unquote help. Yeah. By telling their stories. Yeah. And that's a very real danger at that time. You know, that was, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Movement. that was something. And I can't remember if I, if, if they had pointed that out in the book or if that was a, if that was an understanding that I had as I read it, it's been probably seven or eight years since I read it. But I do remember thinking she's putting them all in jeopardy by doing this. And she's, and she's writing this to, you know, to progress her career. And I, I personally felt that, that there, that that lacked integrity, that she wasn't really thinking about anyone but herself. She wasn't thinking of the consequences of what was happening. Um, and to me, that was a cool, um, but, you know, I don't, yeah, I mean, even, <laughs> we talked about this before, even having this conversation, I feel like I can't even, like, make that judgment, because I am a white middle-class woman, and I don't even feel like I can say, hey, this isn't cool, even though, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of sensitivity. I feel like if we don't have these discussions, then nothing ever gets resolved. No, so that's I, why, yeah. you know, I think it's important that we talk about these things and that people think about these things. More importantly, that people no. think about these things, you well, know, yeah, and no. if we don't talk about it, who's going to talk about it? No, and I agree. <laughs> I agree. You know, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and again, you know, like there are things that I just, because of my background, there are things that I didn't think about. Like, like you, when you, when you came, she's like, there was this white girl and she just completely disrupted their lives. I'm like, oh yeah, she did. And, and, yeah. you know, and there wasn't really any conversation about how this disrupted their life, how this disrupted their, I mean, this, that was, it was huge. What she, she just completely, she just kind of came in as a whirlwind and just mm -hmm. her presence messed everything up. 
And uh, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't, don't take into consideration is that, of course, it's fiction. So you have to have conflict. Yeah. And, but what's the nature of the conflict? Who creates the conflict? Mm-hmm. How does the conflict eventually get resolved? Or is it resolved? And is it resolved for the white character? Or is it resolved for everybody? Mm-hmm. But we can look at it. I mean, if we're going to go into deep, like literary theory here, mm-hmm. we can look at it to say that, you know, she, yes, she disrupted their lives, but, you know, from a society point of view, um, it is white people that are disrupting black people's lives. It is racism. It is, it is, it is that. So couldn't we look at it as a larger symbol? We could, but then the question is, if we look at it as a larger symbol, what is the purpose of that particular examination? Mm. Is it just to say over and over again, well, well, we disrupt their lives. Yay. That's just what happens. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, cause there, there's a violent end to it. Yeah. There's, there's a violent end and I don't, I, I'm not saying that everything has to have a happy ending. In fact, that's one of the pet peeves against uh, American literature, American mm-hmm. um movies and things like that. But having the same story told over and over and over again in different ways, where in the end, the black folks are the ones who get the short end of the stick in some way, or, you know, and so in the movie version of of, uh, Secret Life of Bees, Queen Latifah was in it, right? Yes. You know, I, and I've told you before, I'm so sick of seeing Queen Latifah solving white people's problems. I'm about to, uh, if I see another movie where she's solving white people's problems, I'm going to lose my cookies because she's too fine um, in, and too talented and too amazing to always be put yeah. in that position yeah. where she's basically playing, you know, that that kind of I don't want to call it an Jemima role, but that's what it feels like. That, yeah, like an Jemima role, and that's not to be. I don't mean to be pejorative in that sense, but that's really what it feels like. She's she's somebody's mammy. These mammy roles mm-hmm. are exhausting. It's like it, black actresses are either mammies or prostitutes. It's mm-hmm. there when you know. And what another movie I actually enjoyed because I like watching Queen Latifah. She where she played the one in uh, Last Holiday. Mm-hmm. And she uh, gets misdiagnosed with a terminal illness, given X number of months to live or whatever, and she decides to spend all of her savings on a trip to Europe, you know, somewhere like in the Swiss Alps or someplace, you know, someplace where I could, you wouldn't catch me dead skiing and all that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she's up there, you know, uh, and she's, she's living fabulously because she's spending all her retirement money, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's, you know, she's trying everything on the menu and these white folks takes no, take notice of her. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, she's solving all their problems. That's, that seems like that's how all of our yeah. stories are told. Either, either we are, you know, over the top in, in the, in a street way, Right. Or we're mammies and, and solving everybody's problems. And that, that disturbs me. And then there, where are the consequences for the people who come in and, and oftentimes cause the chaos? You know, of course, yeah. the last holiday, that's not the case. But, you know, in some of these books, yeah. where are the consequences for those people? 
Yeah, um, I mean that. I think I think those are completely completely valid things that I you know I'd never seen until you pointed it out. Um, what do you find with women in in general in literature, though? I mean, because one of the other issues, like. We interviewed, you know, I interviewed a, a, a poet. Yes. And she was particularly focused on the expression of Black love in poetry, mm-hmm. Black sexuality in poetry. And that's something you don't see a lot of in published work. Right. Um, certainly not at the mainstream level. Right. Uh, and I distinctly recall years ago and I cannot rem- re- remember the name of the editor of this book or, or the woman who compiled this book, but she focused on female erotica mm-hmm. because, and this is just to show you how long ago that was, that was in the probably late 90s, early, early 2000s when okay. that book came out. Um, because at the time there was no, there was, there was so little, if any, yeah modern female erotica, female-centered erotica. Yeah. Um, erotica of various kinds or, or oftentimes has been, what had become mainstream was mostly written by men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, after I left college, <laughs> and I have, you know, I was an English major, I was a lit major in college. Um, and so I'd read all kinds of literature that, um, you know, from all different time periods. And I was generally flustered and frustrated with the women characters that were in them, that were in the books that I, the books and the stuff that I was reading. Um, for, I mean, even, even when we're coming down to like Jane Austen or, um, you know, Louisa May Alcott or, Mm -hmm. you know, anyone, you know, even, kind of Willa Cather, but not so much. Willa Cather, I think, was was closest to, to having really strong female characters that stepped aside and were very different from the culture that they were supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I left, when, after I graduated and I started reading, and I started reading kind of for fun again, um, I've read a lot of... Um, a lot of the novels that I've been reading are, are much more recent. Um, and while I'm, I'm actually seeing a shift, I'm not as, it's not going as quickly as I would like it to, you know, even if Mm -hmm. we, if we talk about Harry Potter, right. We talk about Harry Potter and, and there's so much, so much, so much good with Harry Potter, Hermione and professor McGonagall who are, who are any, you know, even Mrs. Weasley and, um, and Ginny Weasley and all of right. these women, all of these female characters, super strong female characters, mm-hmm. they are still, they still take a backseat to Harry. Okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Cause this okay. is a, this is a Jesus story. Okay. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you yeah. recognize the, if yeah. you recognize what it is, it's yeah. actually a Jesus story. So because it's a Jesus story, that's the only way that anyone has envisioned the Jesus story mm-hmm. where the, you know, the 
in, white male savior. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> even though Jesus uh -huh. wasn't white, no, uh, but yeah, but yeah, but couldn't have been. Uh, right. But you know, even the white male savior is at the forefront of this thing, mm -hmm. and he he comes into his magical powers at you know at a certain age because that's that's about the that's right. about the time that jesus started acting up according mm -hmm. to the stories that i know um you know started going and trying to learn and all this and mm -hmm. uh, going to temples and then what about 13 got yeah. pissed off and no, turned yeah, over yeah. the over the tables yeah. so um i say all this to say that that uh, that's why i'm going to give you a little pushback on the harry potter story although i understand what you're saying um because that's a that's a I've, I have, I've spent a lot of time with that particular, you know, we're big Harry Potter geeks here. Yeah, no. So yeah. So are we, we're big and, Harry Potter geeks of this house. Yeah. So we've spent a lot of time discussing this and thinking about this. And mm -hmm. the, the only thing that we can see it as is that it's an allegory for the Jesus story, you know, yeah. even the way that it's, uh, even the way that it ended up on the big screen. Yeah. Dumbledore as a God figure and all that. Yeah. So, um, but I understand what you mean that, I mean, but here's what I think that, I think that there's a little room for there. I don't think it's just about um, women characters being strong. I think it's about women characters being um, real. And I, I think that sometimes there's a tendency for when we're talking about women in literature in particular, oh, we need more strong women characters. I don't think that's what we need. I think we need more characters that are more realistic about what women really are. Yeah, and I would and I would agree. I would agree with that. I mean, I think there is the 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 um the issue with that, as I see it, is finding is is being able to create a woman character that is real that isn't a um that isn't a stereotype i mean I even right because even as an author when you are or a writer when you're when you're creating a character it, it's it's a caricature and you try to make you try to make the characters as real and and um well-rounded as possible but because of the nature of writing and because of the nature of what you're doing, um, it still is kind of a caricature. And there are some books that I think, there are some authors I think have done a very, very good job. I think Diana Gabaldon does a, an incredible job um, with her Outlander series, with all of the characters. She's got very, very well-rounded characters, although she's doing it in a, in a thousand pages of book and there's like eight or nine books now. Right. in the Outlander series. So she's got plenty of room to do it. Um, and that's rare. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the average, the average popular novel runs between 70 and 90,000 words. Which so is what can you do in that yeah. space? Yeah. It's hard um, to do. Yeah. It's hard to do that without creating. And, and that, you know, there are, there are authors that are doing it and I think there are authors that are trying and I, and actually even if we're talking and I don't you know I think there are even um even author like if we're talking about you know like Maya Angelou her characters are incredible um Toni Morrison her characters are and I don't know how I mean I would assume yeah. that you know their characters are incredible 
Um, they're, they're complex. Toni Morrison's co characters are super complex. Yeah. They're so complex. Well, and I was a big Alice Walker fan. Yeah, um, Alice, yeah, Alice Walker, same thing. I was a so huge complex. Alice Walker fan. But, but I think that the issue is we can't, I don't, I think it's hard to not, like, for example, Molly, I'll go with Harry Potter again, Molly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Mrs. Weasley, Weasley mom, the Weasley mom, mm -hmm. I kind of got her, I'm a mom, I have, you know, these three kids, uh, mine are not, they're not flying magical cars, I don't think, I'm unaware of them flying magical <laughs> cars. No? Um, not crashing I, into the Whomping Willow? I'm saying I'm, una I'm unaware, I don't know what they do. <laughs> in reality but um but that kind of fierce protectiveness mm -hmm. that um but but while still being very uh soft and loving with them yeah while being stern that's that's kind of what you know i think most moms do so is that mm -hmm. is that a stereotype or is that kind of how moms tend to be you know what I mean I think there's, yeah. a, there's a difference between a stereotype and well this is kind of what the average mom tends to be like I don't right. think there's anything wrong with playing into that when no. it becomes a stereotype is where you're dealing with like I, I said the issue I was having with Empire was I was concerned that it was going to end up being kind of this ghetto dynasty show basically that you know like oh yeah. you know these black folks finally got some money and look how they act kind of a show that's what i got yeah. concerned about i should probably sit down and watch it but that's what my concern was and that's why i didn't watch it even though i loved those two actors together yeah. i loved that movie that i consider to be the start of it mm -hmm. right of that of that yeah. series but that's when i think you you run the risk of tiptoeing into stereotype yeah more so than well, anything else because that's not necessarily the the norm like it's and and when people push that as a mainstream image that is when i think it gets dangerous where you're getting into that stereotype kind of role as opposed to yeah well this is kind of how i think this is kind of a general representation of how how many moms in you know I'll say in the Western world, for lack of a better term, uh, tend to be. Well, and you know, it's interesting with Mrs. Weasley because, you know, uh, I'm, we've said this before, I, I'm, I'm not a mother. So there's a lot of that kind of fierce protectiveness that I don't understand from kind of a evolutionary hormonal level. Um, but the thing about Mrs. Weasley that I thought was most interesting is that I did see her as a caricature until the very, until the bitter end. It hmm. started to change. There's a, there's a scene and I can't remember if it's in the movies or not, but there's a scene in the book where she's, um, she's trying to get rid of a Bogart. Um, and as that's happening, the Bogart is turning into another Weasley kid, um, another person that she loves that is dead. It's in book five. Mm -hmm. um, and it is very, very powerful. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's not this, um, you know, this kind of type. Um, 
Hmm. You know, and then later on, then you have, you know, like Dumbledore saying, oh no, Molly Weasley is one of the most, that, that clock, the fact that she was able to do this with that clock, that was brilliant. You know, like there are right. these, there are these hints, but you don't see it until the bitter end and not until she's, not until she kills Bellatrix at the end where you're right. just like, wow, she's super powerful. But all you see her doing in most of the series is domestic stuff. But isn't that what most moms do? Not in my world. Yeah. The the, the I moms. wanna I want I want I, I want you to I want you to really I wanna I here's what I, I I really want you to pull back for a second and really think about and really think about the moms that you've seen they've been powerful women but and maybe, i would and venture maybe guess that many of them subjugated a certain amount of their power to allow their spouses or partners or, yeah. or and their children to thrive yeah no you're right and I always, and, and maybe this is just because I'm not a mother, but I'm always like, I always look at it with like, God, you're just so brilliant. Why aren't you, why aren't you doing this other stuff? Um, you know, what's funny. I always tell my, I, I, I tell people all the time, everything I do is I do for my kids. Everything I've ever done, everything I've done since the very first, I've been for 27 years everything I've done in some way, shape or form has been in service to that as my primary job. It doesn't matter if I am out working a regular job, if I'm freelancing, if I'm starting a business, if I'm at the school doing something, if I'm arguing with school administrators, cause I've had to do that, mm -hmm. um, stand up for my kids at school. My kids don't want to see me coming. <laughs> I've already made it clear. Don't, don't make me go talk to those folks because I will tell them what time it is. They don't know. They don't know me. They don't, you don't want me there. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, cause I'm fiercely protective of my children. Everything I do is in service to them uh -huh. even now. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily how it has to be. But I'm saying, I think if you were to sit down and really um, talk with a lot of moms, you would find that that's how a lot of them actually are. Oh, I'm not saying, no, I why, actually. But that's I, why I'm saying it's not a stereotype. It's because I think that's literally how so many of them are. No, Does that make I, sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And, for, and, and I actually don't, I actually applaud that and think that's amazing. What, um, and maybe, and maybe this is, maybe this is, is the feminist in me going, you know, we're, we're trying to do too many things, you know, where there is this, we're, we're told that we need to be great moms and great homemakers and, and, and have great careers and do all of the stuff, but we're not getting a whole lot of help to be able to do all of the stuff for ourselves. Okay. It's this still, is where I think there's a fundamental difference. Okay. This takes it right back to race though. I don't think you're going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in feminism the way that, that it's expressed in the United States. Right. And the reason I don't believe in feminism the way that it's expressed in the United States is because black women in this country have been raising other people's babies mm -hmm. and not been able to raise their own. They've been working like dogs mm -hmm. 
and not able to take care of their own families. And this concept of, oh, we've been told we've got to be this, we've got to be that, that's bullshit. Sorry, I'm calling bullshit on white women in this one. Because black women have been doing this, Hispanic women have been doing this. This is, this is not new for us. And the concept that, um, you're, that you're being told you're supposed to be able to do something, I think that's silliness. I think well, it's crazy. I don't know. I, and, and maybe saying that you're told is different, but there is this among the white women I know, particularly, I mean, and, and I could talk about the women that, that had careers or mm -hmm. that started their own business. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, you and I have talked about it um, with kind of other people that we know where it's just like, oh, well, I can't, I can't spend a lot of time. I can't spend as much time on my business or I can't spend as much time on my career because I need to be, I need to be doing it with my family. Um, there yeah. is this under, and, and I, you know, and, and so, but that's how, that's how life has been for everybody else. Right. No. Forever. And I, no, I totally that's why see, I call bullshit. <laughs> no, I totally see your point, but that, but, but, you know, that I think that's part of the reason why there's this, like, I, I don't know what the word is. Disappointment, pity, um, you know, it turns into encouragement because it's like, no, you're, you know, I get it. You're doing everything for your kids. I totally get that. But you are so smart and you have so much to offer. And if you are not super fulfilled, if you are not completely fulfilled at home raising your kids, then find a way to do something that is fulfilling for you. Find a career, find something that allows you to do everything. Um, or, you know, tell your I, husband he's got to start participating or whatever. I think that's <laughs> you know great. I, mean? you're, I think that's right. great, but I think it's, I think it's kind of a, I don't know. I, I end up feeling like this is kind of, this, this just seems, I don't know. I, I have an issue with that whole line of reasoning because I don't think that any, I don't think that there were so many generations of, of women. I look at, at, at black women who were never able to be, you know, fully fulfilled because they were limited by the society in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what makes you think you have a right to be 100% fulfilled all the time? I mean, I'm not saying you don't deserve it, but it's kind of, it, it's P putting that out there as a concept of feminism to me is such a disingenuous discussion because it doesn't take into account that the reason that you have the luxury to have that discussion now is because, you know, a gener two generations ago, basically, so many people had no opportunity at all to be fulfilled. And so because the, so much of the wealth in this country was built on the, black, on the backs of black people and, and black women who were literally raising other people's kids and not able to take care of their own. Right. It's just, you know, cleaning other people's houses and barely able to keep their own places straight. Right. Unable to get the kinds of jobs that, like I, the fact that I have the luxury I, the fact that I have, have the luxury to do what I do is because there were generations behind me that had no luxury whatsoever. And so to me, that's why I end up being, I end up getting a little frustrated with that kind of discussion. I'm like, 
there's no context here. There's no context. Like my whole life is context and I just see people who are living their lives without any context. And maybe that's the right way to do it, to just live your life with no context and just say, I want what I want, you know, and I want to be 100% fulfilled. And I get it. I want to be 100% fulfilled too. But, but at the same time, I want my kids to have a better life than I have. So I'm willing to, you know, kind of push that down a little bit so that they can have what they need so that they can do better. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally see your point. I know, it's, a di it's, it's difficult because I feel like that's where the divide between black and, and white feminists end up coming up because we didn't have the issue of having to fight for the right to go work. Right. We had to work. You had to work. <laughs> we you were forced to work. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're totally right. You're absolutely right. So black feminists were actually spending most of their time fighting to save the lives of black men to get them rights. Yep. You know, and things like that. That's, yeah. No, know, that's, yeah. That's how black feminism ended up manifesting in a lot of ways. Not all the time, but yeah. that's one of the ways that black men, black feminism, if, and I, I say that I actually like the Alice Walker term womanism, um, mm. talking about black, black feminists in particular, but that's where I think there's a divide. And I think that's why we've had so many issues. Cause you know, I think there's no concept of that context and that no, brings us right back around to the literature and the stories uh -huh. that we tell ourselves and we tell each other in this country, you know? Yeah. So how do we, not, not that, not that we can, not that we can solve this in our, we can solve this, Julia, you and I, <laughs> we can solve anything because we're brilliant and <laughs> we're powerful. And but how do we, but, but what, you know, as, you know, what are the things that we can be doing to, you know, try to divide? Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, as, I mean, is there, so let, let, let's, let's kind of, let's go back to the liter. Well, it doesn't have to be the literature, but we go back to the literature here. Is it, and because this is where this is where my mind automatically goes when when anything race related comes up, mm -hmm. um, you know, can I comment on? Can I, as a middle class white woman, comment on some of these issues with these books? Now that you've pointed out about how, you know, the girl in Secret Life of Bees just goes in and disrupts their whole lives, can I point that out, or is that something that I, you know? Don't I think you can. Don't really understand because I'm white. I think you can. I think, I, I just, I would ask my white sisters to just read with a more critical eye some of these stories and really think about it from the other character's perspective sometimes. That's really what I would ask. I would, I would say, you know, when we... When we look at our stories in this country, you know, so much of it is colored by, you know, what they call America's original sin. Ooh, um, I'm not sure if I, how I feel about that term because, but 
so much that's of our about sla- that 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 term is used for slavery yes okay oh this is how i know you're not from down south honey no because <laughs> you, you'd have known that right away no. yeah and you know what's interesting to me moving out to california is california is very 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 white and hispanic i, I saw so few black people when i moved out here that for a second i was like okay maybe i made a mistake <laughs> like i'm not used to you know I'm, I'm from a black city, New Orleans, or at least pre-Katrina, New Orleans was a black city. Atlanta's a black city. So, mm-hmm. and, and down South, there are huge cities that have large concentrations of black people on the East coast. You have that. So coming out here and being out in the suburbs and there weren't that many black people, I was surprised. I'll be honest with you. Cause Atlanta, oof, that's a black city, you know? And mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's interesting, the dynamics, the, the, I remember a girlfriend of mine, uh, when she moved out here, you know, kind of give me a little bit of a rundown of the race dynamics here being very, you know, things being very heavily Hispanic and all that, but I don't think I really understood. It's really almost like living in Mexico North in some ways, mm-hmm. um, to me, even the way the state is run strikes me very, uh, Central American. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because, you know, I lived in Guatemala for a while, lived in Mexico for a while. It has that same kind of slow inefficiency, (laughs) (laughs) Um, the same disrespect for people's time Mm -hmm. that that I experienced living uh, in Central America. And so I didn't realize the extent of it until I moved here. It really, you know, it's really an interesting... Phenomena, but if you were down south, you would you would be more familiar, or from the east coast even probably, you would be mm-hmm. more familiar with that term. They do so much of what we have going on in the United States, and the energy does change when you cross the mountains. I, I think I told you that. Yeah, you did tell me that. The energy completely changes when you cross the mountains. I think people are things are more mixed up here. You'll see people of different types walking together, talking together, and hanging out together in a way that you sometimes don't see down south, except with the younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I can't speak to North really because I haven't lived north of the DC area. Mm-hmm. But um, but what I also saw here that I thought was interesting was I was going into the the Catholic Church because you know I, I grew up Catholic, so occasionally I'll wander into those places. Mm-hmm. And um, people are letting out of church when I was going into the little chapel next to the church, and I was looked at kind of weird. <laughs> like, and I'm like, why am I being looked at kind of weird? And there was only one black person mm-hmm. in the entire church. And it was a huge Catholic church, mm-hmm. huge. And I was so surprised. I was like, okay, first of all, that's just really unfriendly for people leaving out of church. If you're leaving out of church, you should be happy. You should be smiling at folks. I'm just saying, <laughs> but it was really See, interesting. And that me. tells me that you didn't grow, that you weren't raised in a Catholic church in Cal in <laughs> So you were you were absolutely raised in a Southern Catholic church because I have I have yet to meet anybody that leaves the Catholic church feeling super happy. Oh my God. That is not something. And in fact, like just to just to put just to put a fine point on it, my ex-husband uh, is Episcopalian and we I, I'd go to service. It's just Catholic light, honey. My it's just Catholic is, is light. No, no, no. It's Catholic light. But, and even, and even for Catholic light, right, is that he and his mom would like dance during the service and and they were the only people in the whole service that were like dancing and having fun with it. And I, the first couple times I remember thinking, this is not appropriate. (laughs) You're not allowed to dance in here. 
Well, just so you know, I didn't go to black Catholic churches. Okay. I didn't grow up in a black Catholic school. Um, and in fact, my mom uh, was from Mississippi. She was actually a Baptist. She converted to Catholicism to marry my dad. And so when we used to go to Mississippi to see her people and we'd be in Baptist church and those folks were hooping and hollering and stuff, it used to sit, I used to like, lose, I was, I, I don't know what's going on here. When I was a kid, I would freak out. I it is so very, absolutely it is out. so very un-Catholic. Like it, oh my gosh, so yeah! If you grew up in a white Catholic church, you did not do that. We no, but I even the most remember excitement was at Catholic, when you remember Catholic um, mass when you were a kid. This kids mass, they would let you do the yes. song, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a table. <laughs> that was the most excitement in the church. I'm just saying. No, and I remember, you know, it was really funny. I, I remember watching. And we're going way off topic here, but I remember watching <laughs> the. Um, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. Yeah. And it was, you know, very Episcopalian, like very solemn service. Yeah. And, and the pastor that was giving the, the sermon was just so, like clearly from a black church. Oh yeah. And all like, you're watching all of these very formal <laughs> British people looking at him like, like he is the craziest person on the planet. Because, <laughs> I mean, it was I mean, and he gave a great sermon. He had right. great things. To, like, I really enjoyed watching it. Um, but it was, but when they were panning out to the congregation, it was just so funny. They were probably, <laughs> oh my God, I can only imagine. I've been to England once. I can only <laughs> imagine. No, I mean, and I grew up in, I grew up again, I grew up in, in white Catholic churches, white mm -hmm. Catholic school. So I get it. I totally get it. But people would leave happy. It right. was, it was, it was a different environment, but yeah. the, the race dynamics here are different. Yeah. But I think that we can, I think it's not impossible. I think we have to have discussions. I think we have to talk to one another. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not one of the challenges. And I think I may have mentioned this to you before. There's actually a chef who is um, a black chef. Who's, who is teaching about, antebellum African cooking, you know, cooking that was done by the enslaved people on those plantations. And he's cooking the meals and he's teaching about the cooking and he's using that as a tool to teach. And, and again, it's mostly white people go to these things, apparently, um, teach them about being enslaved, teaching in a more realistic context, not the romanticized version of it. Mm -hmm. You know, not that kind of gone with the wind uh, version of it that we tend to embrace in the United States. And how people are very uncomfortable with that, but we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's true. You know, and I think one of the things that I've appreciated about kind of our relationship uh, and my relationship with other with with other black friends that I've had is that if there is something that is brought up as a race issue, um, and I clearly don't agree for whatever reason, mm -hmm. I'll go or at my initial thought is to disagree. Then I'll go, hey, can we talk about something race related? You know, and sometimes my black friends are like, uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, please, you know, really? <laughs> and I'm, you know, and sometimes, you know, and which, which I get right, because this is, right. this is a normal part of your everyday life. Like, you right. don't like this is this is this is the norm for you. But if I'm, if I'm trying to, 
get somebody else's perspective, um, I have to ask these questions. Yeah. I just do. I have to, you know, there's no, like, like I said, I read, I read Secret Life of Bees and I, and I loved it, but it never occurred to, and maybe if I had reread it, I mean, there are books that I read and reread and reread mm -hmm. and that one wasn't one of them just because I haven't got, it's, it's still on my bookshelf. It's not right. one of the books I got rid of. <laughs> it's right, one of those right. ones. It's on my reread list. I just haven't done it yet. Um, you know, maybe I would have seen it when I, when I write, when I reread it, but you know, until we kind of have these discussions, whether it's something that happens in the news or in a book or in a movie, there's no way that I'm going to know. Right. You know, and, right. and there are, you know, there are people, you know, white or black or Hispanic or whatever that don't want to have these conversations, you know? Well, and that, that's, and that's fair because it's, no, it's fair. It's exhausting sometimes, I'm you know sure what I mean? Is. And especially now, I mean, come on, the United States is yeah. a mess in terms of our, the way we're mm -hmm. communicating with one another. Whether you like certain people <laughs> or dislike yeah. certain people, it doesn't matter. I think it's important that we communicate with one another because anybody who's read a book knows that when people don't talk to one another, what happens? That's where the conflict comes in. That's where the conflict comes in. No, you're right. And, and, and I get, and, and, and I have at least a, um, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of the exhaustion, right? Is that there have been one of the things that has been, that I have made a point of doing, um, the last few years is with, um, male friends and male family members that start to kind of roll their eyes about, um, you know, Me Too or women, women who are making rape accusations or sexual har harassment accusations. Like I start like before, mm -hmm. like five years ago, I wouldn't have spoken up at all. I would have just kind of brushed it off and, and left and actually physically left the conversation. Right. Now I'm now I'm making myself not. Right. Because, because what I'm finding is that there's a lot of men who have very good hearts and whose hearts are in the right place that have no idea. They have none. And, you know, there's the, you know, and so, and, and the reason why I never like called anybody out on it was always because I can have this conversation and no one's going to listen to me and I'm exhausted about it already. And it's in yeah. my mind all the time already. And the last thing I want to do is have this conversation with someone who's not going to listen. But you know, what's interesting because that means you and I have to have another discussion because <laughs> I have very distinct feelings on the whole me too thing too. Yeah. Um, and you're not touched on it a little bit because yeah. there's a racial component there too. Because yeah, the I know. Me too movement actually was started by black women. But mm -hmm. until these white women started saying something, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Is, is mm -hmm. the way that I perceive it. And it's, I think that gets into the way that black, bo black bodies are exploited mm -hmm. in the United States, both for work and um, as, as receivers of violence in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. So, but that, we're going to have to have another discussion on that. But I understand what you're saying. It's, it's if you are concerned that the person's not going to hear you, not, not that you want them to be convinced by you, but to, no. you want them to hear you mm -hmm. and to acknowledge that what you're saying has validity mm -hmm. and maybe be willing to think about it. And yeah. if you don't feel like that's going to happen, 
then why have the discussion? Yeah. But I think it's important that we talk. And I know I am, I am though of the opinion that it is not my job to educate white people about black folks, about what we need, what we want, what our history is and stuff like that. That's not my job. Um, I, I, and I think a lot of black people have that perspective now. Like it, it's not my job to teach you. Um, there's a whole bunch of black folks who are willing to do that. And I'm not, I'm not unwilling to discuss with someone like you who's open and, you know, willing to, to express opinions and mm -hmm. hear opinions and, you know, all of that. But I, I also don't feel like it's, 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 it's not my day job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll talk to you cause I love you. I, <laughs> I'm not, you no, know, I'm not trying to talk to everybody. To right. No, but that's where it has to start. You right. know? And I think, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I'm not gonna, you know, if, if I hear, if I hear a man in the, in the supermarket, you know, talking about making some misogynist comment, I'm not going to call him out on it. Um, you know, because like, you can give him the side eye though. I could, <laughs> and I do, <laughs> and I do, um, you know, and sometimes, you know, even with the men that I know, sometimes it's just a simple, you know, that was misogynist and that's all it needs. Um, and then they go, yeah, I know, but I was joking. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't know. I'm, we're going to have to have another discussion because <laughs> I'm so tired of people getting all like, we can't laugh anymore. No, I'm, no, we totally I'm, can't. I'm not saying we can't laugh at it. I'll laugh at it, but I'll point it out. I you just know? think, I just think it's so, you know, everything is, I don't know, man. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call out white women on this. Y'all make workplaces very, very unfun. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I'm glad I mostly work from home now. Cause I can't, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot be in enough. And I'm not going to call it, you know, where I was going yeah. like a few days a week. And I had never felt so uncomfortable in my entire life. It, I'm like, this is boring and horrible. It, people can't talk to each other. They can't have normal conversations because everybody's terrible. And I, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to interact with one another, you know? And no, people aren't supposed to say mean stuff, but I don't think that everything is, is a crisis, y'all. I'm going to say it. I, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk we about, that, talk about that some other time. We'll have another long bonus <laughs> true talk like this one. Okay. I don't know if there's any upshot to this. We usually end with a, uh, some takeaways, with some yeah. things that people can do. I think if there's an upshot or if there's a takeaway, it's, hey, talk to your Just, friends. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with talking yeah. with one another in a respectful talk to, yeah, manner. Yeah, talk to people. Talk to people that have different points of view. You yeah. know, talk to people that are from different cultures and have different backgrounds and get their take on things. You know, and you know, and it may be something simple like starting a book club. You know, with everybody you know. And reread right. the help. Yeah. <laughs> reread the secret yeah. life of being. No, choose, choose choose books. I mean, you can you can choose books you know, like The Help and Secret Life of Bees that were written, you know, by white women. And then you could choose books like Beloved and The Color Purple that were written by black women and, and discuss the difference of how, of how, you know, the black characters are, are portrayed. You could well, you know what I did with my kids one time? Hmm. I, I, I made, I did a black exploitation film festival 
where we watched black exploitation films from the seventies and talked about them afterwards. Mm. Like what, what themes do you see? What kinds of, you know, what are the yeah. tropes? We sat down and watched, uh, I also did that with Spike Lee films. I, mm-hmm. I took, and we just did a whole series of Spike Lee films. Let's talk about what is the difference? What is the difference between John Hughes films and Spike Lee? Cause they were producing films around the same time, right? right. What are the themes in the John, John Hughes films? What are the concerns of the white characters? What are the concerns of the characters in spite the the teen again largely teenagers largely college teenagers, age people? Yeah. What are the concerns? Mm-hmm. Look at the differences between these films. What does that tell you about your society? So there's so many things that we mm-hmm. can do in small groups, yeah. whether it's with our kids or with our friends, um, or or pulling together strangers and let's say let's have a talk about this. Let's do something different mm-hmm. and discuss these things because the United States never had. Well, and some might argue this is this worked and didn't work in, in South Africa, but South Africa had their um, truth and reconciliation mm-hmm. uh, panel or, you know, they had that. And we've never, ever had anything like that to at least try to try yeah. to acknowledge the challenges. And that's why there's so much, uh, I think, discomfort here. In Germany, they are constantly aware of the dangers of the Hitlers of the world. Oh, they, I, uh, as, as, as a woman who is married to a German man whose mother was born and raised in Germany after World War II, I -hmm. absolutely can tell you that. That is true. They are hyper aware. They are hyper, hyper aware. And for all the challenges they have in that region right now, they are spending time combating it because they know the danger. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was kind of, I haven't seen any of the commentary yet, but there was that shooting at the synagogue yesterday. Yeah. And I was shocked because they are so hyper, they are so hyper aware of it. There's a reason why they didn't get, why they didn't, why they kept all the concentration camps. They did it. Because they want to make sure that everybody knows this and is everybody remembers. Yep. They, the, it's, it's, it is absolutely completely ingrained in the culture. And that's the thing that's really interesting because it's different from here mm-hmm. in the United States. This is something that, and this is, I think, a, a, another discussion because even here in the United States, there's this, this um, inclination to say we should always remember the Holocaust, remember the Holocaust, mm-hmm. remember the Holocaust. But there is not a single person that will say we should always remember the enslavement, mm-hmm. rape, murder, absolute genocide of yeah. an entire continent of people. Yeah. That, like right. we're supposed to forget about what happened mm-hmm. as far as African people are concerned. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that it's important that we have these discussions mm-hmm. because we may never come to agree with one another on different things. That It's not that we have to agree, but we need to understand one another. Yeah. I have always said, if you do not know someone, it's so much easier to distrust them. And it's yeah. not always an issue where you have to be distrustful. If you don't trust somebody, it's, be, it's because you're afraid of them. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody, you're going to be less likely to be afraid. That's true. Julia, thank you for doing this. 
Thank you. This was, I, I, you know, these are, these are things that I don't feel comfortable talking about. So the fact that we were able to do that, um, means a lot to me. Means a lot to me too. You're awesome. Thank you. How are you? Thank you. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to that special episode of True Talk. If you guys like this format, send me a note. Let me know. You can find me online, Facebook, Instagram as at Urban Book Editor. Go ahead and send me a note. Let me know if you like this format. Julia and I are probably going to start doing more of these in this longer format, a little bit deeper discussion, more serious topics, and really get into some things. And we want to know what you guys think and what kind of topics you want us to cover. Thanks a lot. You guys be good. Stay mindful and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.